Welcome back. Process preparation and performance. I'm Duke. He Simmons. I almost forgot how to do that, Jr. Because it has been a long, long time. Why has it been a long time? Well, we were pretty blessed to have a high school football season here in Missouri. Our neighbors to the east over there in Illinois don't even know if they're going to get to play or not. Uh, Talked to a lot of coaches out there, and you know they're just feeling really bad for their student athletes because they don't know what is going to happen. But we here in Missouri got to play. We had the entire playoff system that we rolled through. We did have some COVID casualties for teams that had to stop their season short. Uh, but for the most part, everybody got to play and we're uh, pretty blessed because of it. JR moved into you know, the administration role this year with the assistant AD. And I can tell you this, I don't think we would have had time to do much of this podcasting uh, between you taking care of the daily operations and then doing, is there anything you don't do at the school, JR? I mean, as far as nighttime stuff, I think you've done everything with every sport to help in some capacity. Yeah, I guess I got to be careful how I answer depending on who's listening. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a learning experience. There's, there's no doubt about it. Just being around all the sports has been good because I was so focused for so long on just baseball and football, you know, and now being able to go do stuff for cross country, go do stuff for soccer, volleyball, basketball, wrestling, you know, and it's, it's been different, you know, definitely learned a lot. So I wish I got into it about five years ago. I think it, it suits my skill set pretty good, but uh, it's been a learning experience. That's, that's for sure. On top of that. And then for our listeners, my background has changed. It has. We moved the whole house. So that was, uh, (laughs) how's that working out? It's cold in that bedroom. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> Heat rises is a fallacy. There is there is no such thing as that over here in this house. It's it's cooler Uh-oh. upstairs and down. But for a quick announcement before we get moving here, I'm up to 2,300 miles on my bike. Oh my goodness! So, yeah, I think last update I was around 1,600, so I put in another yeah 700 miles on it. So it's uh. I got calf muscles for days. There's. I was going to say, those no quads denying. have got to be popping, man. Yeah. They've, you've got to have that perfect teardrop. You don't need power clean squats. Go ride a bike. It's, uh, <laughs> Go ride a bike. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. So, well, yeah, you, good you were right. You were right. There's nobody better suited for that job, in my opinion. You've done a great Thank job you. there. Um, JR, this, this is really weird for me because when, when I came to Missouri in 06, I knew somebody from Chicago who I went to school with um, and turns out that the guy I knew married our guest's sister, one of his sisters. Okay. I did not know that because I knew of this person from other things during that time, but we, we have coach James Vint, V I N T. He's a big deal. Okay, let's just yeah. be honest. In the Twitter world and in football and stuff, uh, he's done a lot, spoken at a lot of places, spoken for a lot of clinics. He's doing us a favor by coming on here. But we're going to touch on a couple things. Number one, we're going to touch on some football. We're going to do that because it's Friday night. And honestly, I don't know what the heck to do with myself because normally I'd be at a football field right now and I'm not. So I'm trying to learn how to reestablish that, that timing. But we're also going to talk about a book he wrote, okay? And it's, uh, I really want to read it myself. Um, 
as we've said before, we don't shy away from talking about our faith on this show. It's our show. We can do what we want. Um, there's no FCC censorship or whatever, or whoever's protesting. I don't know. But Coach Vint has been at a number of places and has been successful at a number of places. Okay. First of all, if you're going to coach high school football in the Bronx, yeah. okay, you, you got to you got to be a special dude. You know, we talked to Frank there, you're wearing his shirt and we know everything that goes on up there. Then to be at Iowa Wesleyan, Truman state, and then at a number of schools down there in Texas. Um, Coach, we're just happy to have you here tonight. And we, before we even get started, just thanks for donating some of your time. And I promise you, we will not keep you long. I appreciate it. It's, it's uh it's an honor to be on with you guys. You know, I read books, JR. I do read, but I don't read, like my wife has read 150 books this year or something already. Okay. I don't read like that. Okay. Mostly is what I'm reading is picture books. And it's a lot of the books that coaches put out on like option football. Okay. It's option football. That's at your roots. It's at my roots. Uh, it's amazing just to me, the, the concepts and stuff, but coach Vint, how many books and articles and stuff have you written on option football? I mean, it's, it's really kind of, it's, it's, it's inspiring to be honest with you. I, I don't even understand. Well, you know, it's, it's funny cause I, I was a writing major in college. I majored in writing and linguistics and I did not realize that I had any ability to write and it's still, it's questionable, but um, <laughs> I was a international finance major and, taking a bunch of business classes and then I transferred to Briarcliff and, and I was a business major. And while I was taking or going through my business major, I had to do a tech writing class and I'm in my tech writing class. And my professor says, you need to change your major. And I said, what do you mean? Oh, there's the real coach Vent Blakely. Um, so the, uh, the professor says, I want you to change your major writing and linguistics. And I said, I can never get a job with that. And he talks to me about it a little bit. And he said, I want you to understand something. He said, I, I saw one of the things you wrote. And he said, someday you're going to write books. You're going to be a published author. I can tell you right now. Wow. And I, you know, and I kind of, yeah, right. Whatever. You know, I'm a college athlete. Didn't really care as much about schools. I should have, you know, and that's the funny that my GPA was, not that great as an undergrad and I've got two master's degrees with a 4.0, you know, it was just one of those things, but he saw something in me that I did not see in myself. And that is how I look at coaching is we see in kids what they don't see in themselves, but the writing thing, he's the one that kind of triggered it. And then uh, someone asked me to write an article for option central back in about 1999. And I write the article and the guy, I sent it to him and, he makes a few changes and all of a sudden, you know, it's, it's decent. And then a guy named Mike uh, Podal, who's with AFCA now, um, asked me to write something for them. And I did. And, and it just kind of took off from there. And I ended up writing a, you know, 101 pistol option plays for coaches choice and 101 pistol run plays. And uh, I started a blog just right. to write and put thoughts out. And so I just, started right I was kind of like you know Forrest Gump I was running and he started running and didn't stop and I started writing and didn't stop 
So that's awesome. Just one of those things that uh, someone saw something that I could do that I didn't know I could do. And, and um, it's amazing how, you know, you can, you can put things on paper that can help people. And that's really what I look at. You know, my purpose in life is to make an impact and writing is one way to do it. I find it interesting that you mentioned, you know, originally you were going for international finance and originally I was getting a political science degree. Now how that translates over to what I'm doing now, it, it's kind of still, I guess, like being a politician, you know, it, uh, I think that's more what an AD job is uh, after the little bit I've, you know, kind of been through it. But I, I'm kind of curious, what were you able to pull from the writing and linguistics, the international finance that's helped you kind of turn into the coach you are today and, and with everything that you do now? Well, I think the ability to communicate, you know, we have to be able to, especially in education today, more than ever, um, the number of kids that we deal with that come from such diverse backgrounds and having multiple ways to communicate the same thing with different people so they can all learn the skill and meet the standard that you set. And uh, I think that's, that's something that was important. What's ironic is in 2008, when I left Truman State and moved down here, I knew I'd, I'd met my now wife, but at that time we had been dating. I ended up, see, I always thought I was gonna be a stockbroker. That was kind of my goal. I wanted to be on Wall Street, I wanted to be a trader. And when I moved down here, I actually left coaching and worked for Smith Barney and got my Series 7, Series 3, Series 66, and um, worked in investments, worked in mergers and acquisitions, business exit, and, uh, exit strategies and succession planning, um, worked with people to basically build a legacy for their, their business, their home, their families. And uh, I did that. Uh, and then we got bought by Morgan Stanley. Had oh. we not been bought by Morgan Stanley, I might, I might not have got back into coaching because Smith Barney such a great company and nothing against Morgan Stanley. It just, the culture was different. Yeah. Um, the operations changed. There were a lot of things that were different. And I think, you know, that's the way God works is sometimes he wants us to be exposed to something to prepare us for something later. And then he'll close a door to open another. And that's kind of what happened. And, but that experience, I can't trade for anything. Yeah. Well, that makes, makes perfect sense to me. Do you have a very first football memory or something that sticks out in your head that pushes you and still it hits you from time to time when you're coaching or you're writing? Do you have one? You know, when I first started playing football, my dad was one of our coaches and just him reminding me to love the game, love the game. And then something that it's not really football related. I was at a basketball practice with my dad. And he was coaching football and basketball at the time. And one of his players was having a rough day and watching my dad pull him to the side and talk to him. And there were a bunch of things going on in his, in his home life. And my dad told me, he said, son, the, the games are the least of what we do as coaches. He said, the most important thing you're going to do is build a relationship with your players and be able to use the sport as a way to teach them for the rest of their life. And I mean, you, you, you've met my dad, you know, that, mm -hmm. you know, he's, 
he can be brash, he can be loud, he can be, you know, stubborn, but, uh, but he truly unconditionally loved everybody he coached and everybody he taught in class. And that was a great lesson from him. And it's funny because that kid that he was counseling that day lives in Texas now. Of course, he's a you know, 60-year-old man. He messaged me on Facebook and he said, hey, I just wanted to tell you, because I posted something about impact. And he said, I just wanted to tell you what, what your dad did for me as a youngster. Because he said, if he doesn't help me, I'm not where I am today. And just to kind of see that come full circle was really cool. Yeah, that, that is awesome. Uh, I know JR has a question or a comment, but I have a story like that with your dad. Uh, it was one of the first times I met him. I was still living over in, at my old house in Wardsville and we were in the back. We were having some kind of family function and he was, um, he was sitting in a lawn chair and my oldest son at the time, David, Hey kiddo, how are you? <laughs> he, um, David, David came around the back and, um, we were kind of getting ready for the party. We, you know, we weren't just not, not everybody was there yet. He was there. Cause obviously, you know, your sister's just up the hill or whatever. And, um, David came up and he had done something. He, I had asked him to move some brush or something. And, uh, I looked down and I saw it wasn't done. And I, I kind of looked at David and just said, you know, you know, that's not really what we do. I asked you to do something. I expect you to do it and finish it, not do it because you need to go do something. And it wasn't, I wasn't yelling. I wasn't screaming. I wasn't anything. And when we got done, meaning David went to go fix, you know, what I had asked him to do before. When I turned around, your dad was there. True story. Your dad said, he goes, that was really good. And that was like all he said to me. He's <laughs> like, that, that was really good. Uh, and uh, went about his business. But I still remember that. I still have that memory because you know, here's a guy who's obviously older than I am and had coached more people than I did and whatever. And, you know, the only response he had for me was mm, good job. Keep it up. You know? So I wish uh, he would have seen you do that when I was a kid because his <laughs> response to me not moving the brush pile would not have been yours. <laughs> well, you know, we all, we all get a little wiser or, uh, tolerant or softer or understanding as we get a little <laughs> older. Uh, so, but it was just, it was a cool, a cool moment that I had with your dad. It was a, it was a nice time, but sorry, JR, go ahead. Oh, you're good. Good stories. Good stuff. I want to ask about option football here. So in Let's Jeff city, coach Atkins, who was here forever, they ran triple option from the seventies until he retired in 94, you know, 10 state titles, Nobody could stop it half the time. And then it goes away for a while. And then over the years, people will bring it back kind of in spurts here and there. But it always seems like it is very hard to deal with consistently. Why do you think that is with option football? From a defensive perspective? Sure, absolutely. Be because the, I, I think the assignment aspect. You know, you look at how the game has, has kind of evolved. And when I started coaching, um, we were one of the early teams kind of doing anything spread-wise. Almost everybody you played, you had nine offensive players or ten, you know, within four yards of the football because everybody was in 21, 22 personnel, 32 personnel, you know. And now 
the game is spread out a little bit. And now what you're seeing is defenses that instead of being in a six-man front or in a three- or four-man front, and they're just bringing pressure. They're blitzing people from different angles. You have the, the zone blitz that we've seen in the last 15 to 20 years. And because of that, I think now uh, it's harder for them to play assignment football. And making people have to be disciplined and say, you have dive, you have quarterback, you have pitch. They have to drill that over and over, and it's really hard to do in a week. And that's yeah. why teams like Georgia Southern and Navy and Army that, that run option and live option football are so good. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, Coach Atkins, I had – somebody came up to me today, actually, JR. I'm in a business meeting in the boardroom. I'm in the boardroom, like the room. You know, it's like a 50-foot table yeah. or whatever. And we're sitting around. It's a bunch of doctors. And some guy to me is quoting me Coach Atkins' winning percentage. I'm like, really? Really? We're, I'm, so it was, it was that powerful. Now, Coach, I heard you on a podcast one time. I heard you talk about what at the time was your favorite formation. I'm going to bring it back up and I'm going to see if it's still your favorite formation as it pertains to option and RPO football. And I'm going to use the verbiage that I heard you say. It may have changed. I don't know, but it still stuck with, with me. You said you love two back twins open. I do love two back twins open, <laughs> but I'll tell you what I love a little bit more now. Oh, I'm writing this down. Is JR, JR to him. I'm sorry, Coach. JR, that's too right to us. Oh, yeah, I figured that out. Yeah, it's I mean, too right yeah. to us. So <laughs> I, I'm not, I can't keep track of all those words. So he, uh, when he talked about it, I started taking it. I'm like, let me write it down. Let me see. All right, Coach, go ahead. What do you love more? I'm going to write it down. Well, for option football, just true option, I formation. Okay, you did that this year. Personnel. Yeah, but baby. For RPOs. Being in a, an 11 personnel set, uh -huh. and instead of being true two back, put the back in the pistol, and then put the second back, the H back, put him in a sniffer position. Okay. Yeah. Two are away from the twins. Typically, two of the twins is what I like better, but yep. being able to do both. I love it. We call that right tight and left tight, or white and black, depending okay. on where we want to put them. Oh, coach, this is great. This is great stuff. You're going to have to come here to Missouri so we could talk a little option football and draw on the whiteboard sometime. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so what do you think? Under center, better for option, or can you effectively oh. do it out of the gun? So when we made the evolution from under center to the pistol, we were still running midline. We were still running beer. I will tell you this. It hits different. So we learned mm -hmm. it. We learned by – making mistakes. That's, I mean, that's how you learn. You fail forward. Uh, when we were under center, Veer, our aiming point for the running back on Veer was the outside hip of the guard. Mm -hmm. On midline, he was running straight up the middle of the center, right through the midpoint. Quarter's job is to, quarterback's job is to push off the midpoint. Push away, step at six. You know, that's how we teach him. When we got in the gun, we had our running back's path initially the same, outside hip of the guard. Here's the problem. You have a little bit, uh, you have depth. So instead of the mesh happening at one yard, the mesh is happening at four yards. Mm -hmm. So now your defensive end on inside beer can sit and play both. On midline, he can, a three technique 
can sit and play both. He can be a little slower playing the dive. He doesn't have to commit the same way. So what we learned were two things. We had to change the, the aiming point of the bat on inside veer. Our new aiming point was the, inside, was the play side cheek of the center, that play side hip. So he had to hit tight in the A-gap. And on midline, we actually had him on the backside cheek, so our quarterback had to push away a little bit further. That made that defender have to step further. The second little coaching point, quarterback had to shuffle. He had okay. to shuffle with the fullback or the dive back into the line of scrimmage through the mesh to give a little bit more time so the disengagement of the mesh would happen at two yards. So okay. it was much closer to having it happen to the, to the same point where he would disengage if he had a pull read under center. And once okay. we did those things, we had a ton of success in the gun running midline and veer. You know, I know we've, we've discussed it around here uh, several times. Like, we want something that hits fast, mm -hmm. you know. And so the option was, you know, it was run here forever. We were talking about going back to it. And it seems like just with those little tweaks, you guys have got it figured out, you know, I think. And, and I know out of the gun it's going to hit a little slower. But, I mean, what do you think as far as that goes? It, it does hit just a little bit slower. The key is to have, I think you put – and in the eye, you're going to put a bigger kid at fullback when you're under center. In the gun, you're going to put a faster kid. Mm -hmm. He's not probably going to be the same type of kid at that spot. Uh, but that's how RPOs came about was, so we're in the gun, we're running zone read, we're running veer, we're running midline, and all of a sudden, we have a quarterback move in who was a really good quarterback. But he was not a great runner. So he would get, you know, you could run midline, he'd get a pull read and where with our, the quarterbacks that we'd had, the really good athletes, it was six yards or six points. With this kid, he's going to get a yard and a half. I mean, he just doesn't have that explosiveness. So we're figuring out, well, how can we run option football with him? Well, one of the things that we used to do was something called, we still do it. I mean, we just do it different, but it was called bullets out of the gun. And on bullets, we're going to read the backside inside linebacker. It was just a tag. So we're going to run outside zone. We're going to lock the backside and let the backside inside linebacker, because he's the guy we never get blocked anyway. We're just going to read him. And if he flows, we tell our quarterback, you're going to pull and go. He flows, you pull and go. Replace right where he was. Just like, you know, any option play. But what we said is, hey, instead of, pulling and running, why don't we run a route right there? Why don't we run a hitch route or a stick route? So now we're running outside zone with a stick route. And if that guy flows, we're going to throw the stick route. And what, the way we did it was we'd get in 21 personnel, two backs, and we'd run outside zone weak from split back gun and run the tight end on that little route. And I talked about that. We still run it today. We've been running that for 15 years. And from a bunch of different formations, we run it from one back, we run it from two back, we run it from three back. But all of a sudden now, we've made that outside or that inside linebacker on the backside just sit there. But it's option football. That's all RPOs are. You know, we have a concept RPO I love called – it's just called stick. We block – any. we can block any one back run we want. We get a trip set, a three-by-one set, 
or we can be in a tray set with the third guys at tight end hand down. We're going to run a, an inside run, and we're going to read the inside linebacker. So we're in, let's say we're trips right. All right, we're facing a 4-2-5 defense. So they've got the nickel back between two and three or outside of three. We're going to block inside zone, but we've only got five linemen. They've got six defenders. Well, we're going to block four down to, four down to the wheel linebacker. That's what we're going to do. We're going to count for the four down guys in the wheel. Quarterback's going to put the ball in the belly of the back. He's going to read the mic. If the mic steps up, you're going to pull and throw a stick route to number three. If the mic does anything else, you give the football. And it's a really easy, simple RPO that you can run from 11 personnel. You can run it from 10 personnel. Uh, you can motion, add window dressing. You can do anything you want with the outside two guys. There's some things that we can do as compliments off of it. And it's just, it's option football. But instead of pulling to run or pulling to run and maybe pitch, all we're doing now is we're just throwing the stick. And if we want to get really cute with it, we can go ahead and not, read, not block the end, and we can run that stick route as a pivot. And now you're running zone read, and if you get a pull read, on the third step, you're going to – you pull. Now you're just going to throw the pivot if the outside linebacker comes to you. If he doesn't, then you run. So it's still option football. It's just uh, – I, I used to call when we started doing RPOs way back in the day – option with a twist <laughs> i mean that's really all yep. it is we're just we're taking defenders we're going to use the really good coaching against them and uh and that's where i think rpos have have become so popular because if i'm an inside linebacker and i get down block out block it's stimulus response that's one of the drills they do every day i get down block out block i fill right now so now you're taking this really well-coached kid who's a really good player and he's got really good coaches and he's doing what he's coached to do and he is wrong. Mm -hmm. Same thing we do with the boundary safety. We have a tag called blade. We're going to, to the single, what people like to do is take that boundary safety and he's keying high hat, low hat. If he gets low hat, what's he doing? He's filling the box, especially if we're in two back. So we'll get in 11 personnel with an H back and, and a running back. And we'll run, say, power, and we'll get that guy to fill, and we'll tag blade, and we're just going to read him. And we'll run a glance post behind him. And we're going to use his really good coaching, his aggressive play against him, and now he's got to slow down because we want to run the ball. It's all about numbers in the box. We want to equate numbers in the box. Defenses are always trying to go plus one. How can they get one more guy in the box? And we're trying to take advantage of where they're, wherever they're bringing the plus one we're going to do something to replace that guy because the plus one is a guy that has a pass responsibility. So to plus one himself, he's got to vacate something. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, you know, and I was, here's something just popped into my head was I was reading a book the other night and it said the RPO kind of started with the backside solo on a hitch. And, and I was reading, and when you said that, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, it's like deja vu. Why do you think it just started with that? Like, what, well, what made that appealing? It's an easy throw. Uh, I know, like, a lot of guys call it a gift route. It's free. And I remember back 20 years ago, we were – I don't remember what – I think we were running ISO. 
and we were playing a 4-4 team playing cover three. And I went, man, I wish we had a hitch called right here. Man, I wish we had. So, and when I was in college, you know, we used paired plays. That was kind of our first evolution when I first became an offense coordinator was we called two plays in the huddle. We'd call a play. I write 42 ISO, kill, 90 hitch. And the quarterback would come up, and if he said green, we're going to run the play called. If he calls kill, we're going to run the kill play. So now we built in a kill, but we had to check to it. The second phase for us was building in pre-snap routes. So if we have a run called to the right, we're going to have something built into the left. So if there's one receiver, it was a hitch. If there's two receivers, we're going to run a now screen or a fast screen where number two blocks for number one, quarterback just turn and throw to him. And that's kind of how it all started. And I think people did it just to steal space because people loaded the box. And then we ended up expanding those rules. So now sometimes we're in 10 personnel. So if we're in trips, now it's a bubble. And then if the quarterback wants to change a bubble to a fast screen to number two, dose, he just, he just turns to him and does that real quick. And now one and three block for two. So we do that based on who was uncovered. If three's uncovered, we're going to run a bubble. If two's uncovered, then we're going to run the, the dose. So, and it was easy for our quarterbacks to do. So that's kind of how it all started. And what was really fun about that, this is a play call. That's a play call. That's two by two, inside zone read to the right with fast screens on both sides. And all you have to do is give that. How fast can you play? Right. And we had a game where we – a high school game, now 12-minute quarters, where we snapped it 41 times in a quarter because we could call our entire run game like that. Or if we wanted to go the other direction, left hand. So all our players had to know was which hand and how many fingers are up. So the play ends, we're doing that, and we're trying to snap the ball at 35. And every once in a while we'd hit it, but you typically if we played – fast we were snapping it at 32 32 was pretty normal and if we played normal speed where we're just given a formation and play where it's a what we call a two-tiered play call we're signaling the formation and play boom boom you know whatever that we're snapping it at 27 when we played slow so that was kind of and then of course because we're playing fast now you can freeze call and then when people started, so you freeze call, what do defenses do? Quarterback says, easy, you know, you try to get the snap. You don't get it. You look to the sideline. As soon as you look, what's the defense start doing? Moving people. Yep. So then we went to something called joker. So now yeah. we put a joker call in that week, and we said, anytime it's joker, it's going to be four verticals, for example. So we're going to five-man protect, run four verticals. So the quarterback set, boom, they don't jump. He says, easy, easy, look, look. Everybody looks, 1,001, 1,000 snap the ball. So the defense is, what's the D-line do? They take a knee. Right. They're down on a knee when the ball snapped. You know, the defenders are all looking to the sideline to get a signal, we're snapping the ball. So, I mean, it's just kind of an evolution. But I know that's a long answer to your question. Yeah. I tangented. Went on a little tangent. It's all good. But, <laughs> yeah, that's, right. it, was, it was all about taking space and making def defenses – have to defend all five skill guys every play, defend the quarterback every play, and all 53 yards of width. I'm, I'm in. 
I'm in. It's, you know, it's uh, kind of like something that JR and I did a few years ago is that JR said, hey, you know that people hit that little pause button between the plays when they're filming because they don't want to just film straight through. So what what we did is that as soon as the quarterback would throw the route. Oh, you're giving away the keys of the kingdom, baby. As soon as he would throw <laughs> the route, it's okay. He uh, He might look over at the side he didn't throw it to, and he's flashing the next route to him. So the guys on the backside away from the route, which the backside could be the three side, could be a two side, depends on what we're in. They already know what it is. And then the ball is put down, and then we're running it because he's told them what's coming next. So he may go back to the solo, but he may go go to the dubs or the trips or whatnot. But it's, it's totally awesome, Coach. I love it. Uh, I'm going to ask you one more football question, and then I want to get into a little bit of you for five, six minutes, and then we're going to let you go, okay? Um, okay. JR and I contend that there are only three ways to <laughs> run the football, inside the tackle, outside the tackle, or option, which has both inside and outside components. Now, Everybody who's listening to the show knows we did a poll, knows that we're winning this battle, but we contend that there's really only those three ways. You can run it between the tackles, outside the tackles, or you can option, which means you have somebody inside and somebody outside. Do you believe that is true? Yeah, I, I would say, yeah. I don't have, have a whole lot of – I would say there's a fourth way, actually. Okay. Reverse. Right. A reverse. Okay. You're going to start it outside and bring it back. Okay. That could possibly be another way to run the football. But, but yeah, okay. I mean, that really – I hadn't really thought of that as from, from that perspective. Mm-hmm. We, um, we did that when we were doing defensive stuff. So what we said okay. is, is this team an inside the tackle and outside the tackle, or are these truly option? Because we played some option teams, but they never pitched the ball. Yeah. Or one kid wasn't a part of the option. So we broke it down. And when we told our kids, hey, listen, yeah, they're they're writing this, but they're not really reading it. It's not really option. They're giving it. It looks like they're doing something else, but they're not. So, yeah, good. Awesome. Now to what may be my favorite part. And I love football. You wrote another book. It recently came out. It's called Finding Faith. Tell us about it. Tell us why. And then I promise you we're going to let you go so you can uh, be with your family because it is Friday night and we're taking up your time. Well, it's, it's kind of a I, – I knew that I was not living right. I was making a lot of mistakes in my life. Um, and I lived hard and lived wrong, you know, in so many ways. And uh, – we got plugged into a church here, and I grew up going to church, but not being religious at all, and not coming from a very religious family. Um, and as we got plugged into this church, you know, God puts people in our lives. And things, you know, I started to learn more about God and our salvation and things like that, but I still hadn't made the decision that this is how I want to live. And I kept worrying about, well, how am I going to have fun? You know, I, I, I do a lot of fun things. And as we got into the coronavirus, I started to have more time and started to 
really look at who I was and started to make some changes. And then we faced some loss in our own family. You know, my mother passed away. We had some, some, my wife's business when the coronavirus hit because she's an interior decorator, goes into people's homes. Now she can't do that. So her business was devastated. Um, and we faced a lot of adversity just in our home. And it was big adversity to us, but compared to others, probably not a huge deal. But it made me reexamine my purpose in life and who I was. And of course, I've always identified myself as a football coach. And, and that's kind of, I'm Coach Vint, you know, and I speak at clinics and I coach ball and that's all I do. And I'm obsessed with it. And I wasn't being a good father. I wasn't being a good husband. And I started to really examine myself as we went through this season because we weren't having the success we expect. We still had a great year, but it wasn't necessarily up to the expectations that I had set. And I, I started to feel really empty inside. Something was missing. And as I started to get back into fully being who I wanted to be, I wanted to go through a transformation from who I was to who I desired to be. And that's a godly man, godly husband, godly, uh, godly father. And I started to, God started to talk to me. The Holy Spirit poured into me about, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. You need to share this with people. And I started kind of journaling and I shared it with a few people and they looked at it and they were like, wow, that's really good. I'll be there in a second. Yep. Go put some stuff on it. Never 24 hours. Just go put a tissue on it, Blake. <laughs> It's okay. Um, so anyway, I ended up writing this and it came out and you know, it's on Amazon. It's available for the Kindle app and then there's a paperback, but I really just poured out kind of the things that I was learning about myself and the fact that, you know, adversity happens not to us. It happens for us adversity is what makes us better. And it says, you know, in the book of James, James chapter one, you know, uh, talks about rejoice at adversity. Paul talks about it in Romans, rejoice when you have adversity, be joyful through adversity because it builds perseverance. Romans takes it further and talks about suffering, but you're building perseverance, which is going to, or in, uh, perseverance, which is building endurance, which is going to build hope. And that helps you realize, I don't have to do this alone, but I need this adversity because it's through suffering, it's through adversity, it's through hard work that we get out of our comfort zone, that we stretch ourselves, that we grow. And I started to realize that God created me perfectly and he created me for a purpose because I felt like I wasn't worthy. I'm going to be honest, when I, was, when I really got into this, I'm like, man, why is God going to take me back? There's no way I have done too many bad things. And then I read the story of Paul. And, you know, Paul started off Saul, Saul of, of Tarsus. And he persecuted Christians. And he's on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians. He had arrest papers, warrants. And he gets knocked down by this bright light in his voice that says, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who is that? It's, and G, it's, it's me. It's, it's Jesus. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? and sends him to Damascus, blinds him, and says, wait there, someone's going to come see you. And then, of course, Jesus goes to Ananias and says, hey, I want you to go see this guy, Paul, and Ananias knows who he is. He's like, 
no way. I'm not going to see him. You're crazy. And God says, no, no, I chose him and made this conversion. And God uses broken people. So that's kind of how it came about. And then I started really learning about salvation. And, and a powerful thought is that there's only one person that's ever lived sinless. And that one person is the one that died for all of our sins. The person that didn't sin died for everybody else. That's kind of an insane thought. That's kind of a, that's powerful. And that's kind of how it came about was learning about salvation, learning about grace, and the fact that every single one of us has this, this gift that's been given to us. Everybody, all, all, whatever, 3 billion people in the world have the gift, but you got to choose to receive it. And once I started to realize um, that I have a greater calling than being a coach is a great, I'm called to coach. But to take that further, I'm also called to be a disciple. And to be able to share that with people absolutely has given me a sense of purpose beyond anything I've ever imagined. It made me change. Um, I started writing down who I didn't want to be and who I wanted to be. Started making a conscious decision. I'm not going to cuss anymore. Not going to cuss anymore. And I want to be held accountable for it. I'm not going to be impatient anymore. I'm going to be a patient person because I don't have to do it myself. There is a higher power that can fill me with what I need. So that's, that's kind of how it came about. And I, I got really passionate about sharing this, um, being a little bit, I don't like to talk about like personal stuff. So writing personal stuff was hard. Uh, but when I started writing this, it's like the words just came and I, what I did was I broke it into sections into kind of like chapters to talk about different elements of faith from change starts with you to change a, a, a deal. I, I had a pastor, John Randalls, who passed away of pancreatic cancer. But you say, when you walk in a room, do you change the room or do, does the room change you? Do you breathe life in the room or do you bring death into the room? Because you're either a life breather or a death breather. There's no in between. So I, I have a section on that. And then making a decision, receiving salvation when you're broken. What's it like? What do you do when you feel broken? Why, why can that end up being a positive? And then how we're saved, by, we're saved by faith, not by works. And talk a lot about forgiveness, forgiveness for others, forgiveness for your enemies. Um, how do you pray? How to be a better father? How do you spend time with your family? How do you spend time with your wife? Um, so I just started getting into each of those things and then making tremendous improvements. And I'll tell you this, my marriage is better. Uh, I'm a better teacher. I'm a better coach. I'm a better father. I'm better in the community. And it has made me realize that our life is not about us. It is about taking the gifts we're given to impact others. And if you impact others and help them to have the best life they can have, your life will be better. You will have joy. You know, a lot of us are happy, but happy is an external thing. I'm happy because, you know, my wife bought some steaks. I'm happy because I got a pay raise. But joy comes no matter what the circumstances are because joy is internal. And I've had a joy that I, I just can't explain. I really, really, really like the, the room comment. Change the you know, room. Are, are you changing the room or is the room changing you? And I can think back, shoot, even the stuff that went on today, it's like, okay, well, did it affect me? 
or did the way I respond, did it affect everybody else? You know, and that, to me, that is, that's just good sound advice. I mean, that, mm-hmm. I really, really like that. I've got one more question for you here. I got to know what it was like to coach in the Bronx. I, I've got to get like a little <laughs> snippet of, uh, of just that time. Cause I'm a Yankees fan. I don't know why everybody likes the Cardinals around here and I'll probably yeah, be maybe. excommunicated from, uh, <laughs> from the Cardinal faithful here or whatever, but I like the Yankees, you know? So I just got to know what, what was the Bronx like? Amazing. He'll be back. He's got the best internet in town. So <laughs> <problem>. There he <laughs> is. It, it was amazing. It was an absolute amazing experience. Um, people say, how'd you end up in the Bronx from Iowa? And I always told them I got on the wrong plane. But uh, <laughs> when, I, when I got there, I, I was at a big school. It was a school that was really struggling. Football-wise, they hadn't won a game in three years. Um, academically, the school was really doing just poor. And we had a principal who was a graduate, Gerald Garfin, unbelievable person. And he put the right people at the right time. And for me, I can't imagine a better place to start my career in education because I grew up in an area, middle class, where everybody kind of has what they need. Um, 99% of your kids have eaten three meals. They have parents that, that, are, that are caring about them for the most part. And I got out there and it's just, it's chaos. Yeah. I will tell you, that's the best way to put it. Utter chaos, people everywhere. The school had four times as many people as the town I grew up in. Uh, we had, you know, 4,000 students. I grew up in a town of 1,000. Wow. But it, I learned so much. The kids, I'll tell you this. I've been in Texas. I've been in the Midwest. I've been in New York. Kids are kids. The kids are the exact same everywhere you go. The New York kids were a little more worldly. They grew up a little faster. But as far as that goes, they're kids. Um, they were adults, a lot of them, because the type of school we were in, a lot of them were the only responsible adult in their house. So you had to talk to them different. They were not someone that was pampered and babied. So they looked at themselves as being grown, even though they were still 15, 16, 17. But you had to, what I learned there was, if you show respect, you get respect. And the, the, you don't respect people. And this is, I think this is, my favorite thing to do at clinics is to talk about building character and culture. One of the greatest lessons we can teach kids is that you don't respect people because of who they are. You respect people because of who you are. And I learned, I had to learn that it's not about me and me against you. We're, we're not adversaries. So you have to get kids to know that you're on their side and that because you're, you love them, you're going to hold them accountable. If you didn't love them, you wouldn't hold them accountable. And I learned that in the Bronx because it's, it's just the kids are a little bit more worldly. Uh, they deal with things that a lot of our kids can't imagine. And I will say this, the loyalty, coaching in the Bronx, teaching in the Bronx, the loyalty you have. Probably half my Facebook friends are kids that I taught and coached in the Bronx. Wow. And they are loyal to a T. You know, we still keep up with each other. If I go speak at a clinic out there and I don't call, they get very upset. So I always make sure I call. Um, the relationships that you build there, that, you know, people say New York people are rude. They're, I would say that they're short-tempered at times. 
<laughs> because it's a faster pace, but everybody really, it's a very, and I was out there ni- during nine 11 oh. and I, and, and people are friendly people. They really are. They have, they, they will bend over backwards to help. And it's such a diverse place that people don't say, well, I'm not going to help you because you're different than me. I think they go out of their way to help because they want to show that we're, we're, you know, we're one big city. And it, it just was a neat place. You know, it was a, it was a place that I absolutely loved. I am glad I don't live there anymore, <laughs> but I loved every minute of it. The people were phenomenal, uh, but it is a fast paced uh, lifestyle. Things yeah. are different. You know, I'll tell you this, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whatever you want to eat, you can go eat. That's true. <laughs> the biggest true. thing when I left there and moved to, to coach at Iowa Wesleyan was it was 10 o'clock at night and I could not go eat something. <laughs> yeah. There was nothing open. I go to Wendy's. Yeah. I go to Wendy's. <laughs> yeah. What, right. Which, what was it like on nine 11 up there? You said you, you were know, there. What do you remember from that? I'm, I'm just kind of curious. So I was teaching English second period and I was in room 413. Oh my god! My classroom. So it was on the fourth floor and I had that as my classroom because it, it sat at the 50 yard line of our football field. And it gave me a very beautiful fourth floor view to be, that's where I called the place from. Uh, we didn't have a press box. We sat in that classroom and we looked out the window and a kid said, Hey, it looks like there's a fire at the world trade center. And it was, you know, 12 or 13 miles away, but it's so tall. You can yeah. you see that we had a great view of the twin towers and you saw the fire. And then another teacher came in, uh, cause you don't have your own classroom there. You share. Okay. David hubs was teaching after me. He comes in and he says, Hey, something, a plane hit the world trade center. I said, yeah, we saw a fire. And he said, yeah, they think it was a small plane that was flying to, to uh, JFK. I was like, man, that's crazy. He said, yeah, they're in the library watching the news. And I walk in the library and we're watching it with five or six teachers. And I remember Karen Sherwood was one of our English teachers, great lady. And all of a sudden she just gasped and a second plane plane hit. And that was when we knew. And then the principal came on and they made an announcement on the intercom to keep students in the classrooms and teachers had to get on the phone each classroom had most of them had a phone if you didn't you had to step to a classroom that did real quick and call and they said no kid was going to be let out of the building until a parent came um and then they actually had a fire drill and they got everybody out onto the football field because it's fenced in okay and that way they could get every kid in one place where they'd all fit they had them kind of sitting in groups and then we kind of explained to them what was going on and that no one would leave till their parents and parents came and they were trying to get that message out. And, um, everything was closed up. My roommate, uh, worked in Manhattan and he had to walk from Manhattan yeah. to the Bronx because the subways were shut down and they, you know, it was just a, it was a surreal environment, but it was, the city came together. Crazy. Yeah. I couldn't imagine being up there when that, when that happened. Well, and you know, uh, uh, I had a really good friend who his wife had an interview that morning at the world trade center and she went to go to her interview and she went up to the 88th floor or whatever. 
and they said, hey, he had a car problem and the person you're interviewing with isn't going to be here till 10. So you can wait here, you can go get some coffee or something and come back. So she left and went to a place to get coffee and a donut. Oh and my. That, that whole thing, like, I mean, saved her life. Yeah. And the guy that she was supposed to interview with said that he was cussing a mud hole <laughs> in the world because he was late to work. And it turned yeah. out that because of that, he, he wasn't there. So it was a, it was a crazy time, but it was a really neat, neat thing to be a part of from the perspective of seeing that city in our whole nation. That was, yeah. That's probably the last time our country's been, been unified. You look at everything going on now and, you know, we were unified for, yeah. for, for a year, I would say. We really came together as a country. There was no Democrat, Republican, blue or red. It was USA. It was red, white, and blue. Yeah. Yep. Be yep. cool to see us find a way to bring everybody back together today. Yeah, it'd be absolutely. Really nice. It'd be really nice. Coach, um, it's been awesome. I really appreciate you, you taking my uh, direct message there on Twitter and always being willing to help. Um, thank you for what you do for the football community. Uh, and I don't say this lightly. And it's not because I know you, but your parents would be proud of what you're doing. Your mom and your dad. I know your wife and your kid are, um, but they would really be proud of what you're doing and how you're living. Okay. So regardless of football, regardless of, I know you, you like to cook, you can put some of that stuff out on Twitter too. It makes me a little hungry. Uh, regardless of all that stuff, uh, just, just keep doing you, man. Keep doing you. Um, you know, living that life. It's, uh, Jared and I talk about this from time to time in a little bit different verbiage, but sometimes you got to erase all that negativity out of your life and you got to, you got to find the joy and the happiness and everything that you get to do. Right. So we don't, we don't care what your occupation is. Find the joy in the fact that you get to do it because you could be like one of those thousands of Americans that were uh, in that building that day. Right. That's right. We always tell our kids, do you have to, or do you get to, right. You have to work out or do you get to work out? Right. Because there's a bunch of kids that are in that structured learning classroom that they don't get to work out. You know, they were born, without the ability to play sports and they're in wheelchairs and they have muscular dystrophy and they have all these things that, but you were born, you get to, you don't have to come to workouts. You get to, that's right. I think you hit it on the head when you said you get to. Yeah. You you get that gratitude, right? You start to, you start to learn that gratitude is a part of your life. And then you start to be grateful for things. And if you can actually say thank you for what you've been given on a daily basis, from God or Jesus or whoever your higher power may be. Um, mine is Jesus, but uh, for whoever that may be, it kind of flips you and uh, gets you going in the right direction. So for myself, Coach Simmons, we got to get you up to Missouri, man. We'll talk some ball. We'll talk more about your book. Uh, go out to Amazon, pick it up on the Kindle app, do what you got to do, read it, learn from it, love it. 
uh, I would, I, I'm guessing I haven't read the book, but there's probably a, there's probably a play diagram on one of those pages, coach. There's probably something somewhere. Uh, you I, should sneak, I, sneak that in if there's not. Okay. I took it out in the editing process. Oh. Oh. Okay. All right. <laughs> I figured you could have worked in maybe Moses running the midline there. <laughs> yeah, the, exactly. you know, coming out of exactly. Egypt. Or, yeah. Nice. That'd be awesome. For process preparation and performance, I'm Duke Keith Simmons. We've had the extreme pleasure of hanging out with Coach James Vint. If you haven't read his book, Finding Faith, you need to go do it. I'm going to check out Amazon myself tonight. You guys have a good night. Merry Christmas. God bless. Mm-hmm.